0: So to start, um, if I start preaching, that's just because I'm a pastor, so I'm going to try to teach, I promise you, so I'll do the best I can, and I'll try to keep the mic close. We do not have a lot of time. I'll be honest, when I usually do this talk, it's about an hour and a half to two hours, so I'm going to do the best I can to walk through this. So in order to do that, we first have to do some defining. And what we're going to define first is what is the inner man, right? What is is the inner man and, and what does that consist of? Because if you don't understand who you are inside, it's really hard to know what to deal with and how to deal with it. So in order to do that, let me give you a simple definition of the soul and spirit. The soul is the essence of humanity's being. It is who we are. The spirit is the immaterial part of humanity that connects with God. But for practical purposes today, we're going to break this down into three areas of who the inner person is. And the first one is desire. The definition of desire is a passion and attitudes towards things you value and things you want. Okay, so if you, you based upon that, you are driven by what's important to you. You may say, I have nothing that's important to me you have something that's important to you. I promise you that. The second thing is thoughts. The definitions of thoughts. It's the purpose or design, understanding, insight, and moral conscience. Paul said, with my mind, I will serve the Lord. And I'll be really honest with you, that's where a lot of this is going to come back to because how you think... And how you're driven is going to determine how you live and what you experience and what you deal with. So what's really important is is to understand that. And then the final one, and it's the one we all love the most, emotions. How many like to be emotional? Anybody in here emotional? Okay, some of you like to be emotional. All right. (laughs) Emotions mean our emotions, our emotional capacities are part of our nature as personal beings created in the image and likeness of God. The capacity of emotional response is part of God's original pre-fall design. So we have desires, we have thoughts, we have emotions. I need you to keep those in mind as we do that. Because the Bible is clear, right, that that's God's guide. In Proverbs 4.23, you probably know the verse. It says what? Out of the heart is what? The issues of life. So you've you got to be really careful, and we're going to talk about this down the road, of why people come to counseling. But you have to understand that everything is directed back to here. And so when God created us, he created us with soul and spirit. He created us with emotions, desires, and thoughts. He created it so that he could connect with us, communicate with us, and move us in the direction that we did. But what happened? Genesis 3 happened. And if you never read Genesis 3, read Genesis 3 sometimes. And from that, the whole world changed. We don't have time to go into Genesis 3 today, but we're going to now have to define sin. People don't want to talk about sin. But let me say something. Sin's all around you. Every one of you struggle with sin to some capacity. And if you don't deal with it, and if you don't let God do something to heal it, you'll never get victory over the things maybe you are struggling with. So what is sin? Sin is a disposition, your nature of a human being that leads to a failure to conform to the law of God. Simple. When Adam and Eve fell, when they chose, especially Adam, to take the fruit, at that moment, everything changed. We are made in the image of God, but let me say something very clearly. We are not the image of God. And because of that sin, that's what's caused us then to go in a direction we never should have. Derek Kinder says this, He says, the climax of Genesis 3 is a big lie, a lie big enough to reinterpret life and dynamic enough to redirect the flow of affections and ambitions. Think about it. And I I joke about this in counseling almost with all my clients. I've never had a person come into my office and I go, what are you here for? And they go, you know what, I'm just too happy. Can you give me five steps of how to get depressed? I really want to understand how to get depressed. Or I'm just so calm that I need to know how to get some anxiety. I really, everybody else is really anxious. I don't get it. I'm just too much at peace with God and I would really, never has happened. Why? Because your natural disposition is to go to those things, correct? You're fallen. Why do you think counselors have more work than they know what to do with? Right? Because we're fallen. And so because of that, that causes this problem and that it causes these issues that we don't necessarily know how to de- deal with. If you have a Bible today, if you don't, it's okay. Ephesians four seventeen through 20 talks about this. It says this, for time I'm going to go ahead and read. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of... Of their minds, Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed to practice every kind of impurity. You know why I don't have to tell my three little kids to sin? It's because it's built in them. You know why I have to spank my kids? It's because sin is built in them. You know why you struggle now? Is because sin, sadly, is built in you. But there's hope. So what's the effects of the inner person in sin? So let's break that down. Desire. See, when I was before the fall, the desire was to completely and fully serve God and that never interfered. After the fall, what happened? Our desires are twisted. We want to do what we want to do. We want to be the God. We want to define what good is. We want to define what religious is. We want to define what relationships are. We want to define those things. We become self-serving and self-seeking. So you can blame a lot of things, to be honest with you, about what's going on and what's around. But at the end of the day, it's what you do and hear is going to determine how you perceive and how you look at things. How about your thoughts? What happened after the fall? They said in Romans 1, for although they knew God, what? They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile. There's that word again, in their thinking. We rationalize moral choices. Look at the society today. Look at the hot topics of homosexuality or gender and those things like that. And you say, well, how do I know right from wrong? See, the standard is the Lord Jesus Christ and the word of God. But what happens because of sin, what happens? Society changes, morality changes, and that's why there's no standard. See, if I take it back to the perfect law of God, that's my standard, But you'll watch in 20 years, and I promise you, there will be a whole different level of what's acceptable. And you can see that because the progression of sin becomes more and more perverse. So my thoughts change. I make good things seem wicked. And wicked things seem acceptable. Right? We're good at justifying our sin. We're good at justifying our struggle. We will put labels on it to do that. What about your emotions? It says in Deuteronomy, because you did not serve the Lord, your God, with joy and gladness of heart for the abundance of everything. Emotions are important. Let me say this. Sometimes I wish I didn't have emotions, to be honest. Life would be a lot easier. Because emotions are what drive me. Emotions are what can make you make decisions. So what did it do? What happened in the fall? We cannot feel as we should. We love the things we should not. How many of you ever get tired of failing or struggling or sinning all the time? Gets old, doesn't it? And you go, am I going to ever get over this? How many of you ever get tired of depression, anxiety, and fear? How many of you ever think I'm never going to get past this? It's hard, isn't it? It's real. Because what Satan wants to do, right, or what your mind of the flesh wants to do is grab a hold of you and pull you by yourself and you think, nobody else is going through this. Mm-mm. I ain't telling nobody they're going to hurt me, Right? whatever you have went through. What else happens to emotions? All emotions, however, can become destructive when we fail to express them in harmony. Listen to this, with biblical limitations and structures designed by God. That's why feelings are so hard. You ever, how many of you have ever been in a dating relationship or are dating? Let's do this. How many of you have been in a bad dating relationship? <laughs> Everybody better raise your hand. How many of you made some really poor choices because of emotions? Right? You know mentally, especially us good Christians, right? We know what's right. We know we need to dump them. We need to get rid of them. But nope, we're gonna change them, right? Or we're gonna get them saved. Or we're gonna why? Because the emotion's so strong, right? Some of you probably are struggling with that right now. You may be sitting by somebody, you go, man, I need to get rid of them, but you won't. We can talk about it. Well, I don't have enough time. That's a, that's a whole other topic. Because think about this. If our world wasn't broken, you know what emotion wouldn't be part of us? Sadness. Think about that. We never would be sad. All right, so let's get to the mental health part. So everybody understand the inner person. Desires, thoughts, Emotions everybody understands sin because of sin it perverted it twisted it it caused us not to have harmony with God and so now we wonder we hear the term mental health everybody's heard it it's popular you wonder why Burl and Springfield is growing so fast it's because mental health mental health mental health and they pour more and more money into it so there are three reasons why people come to counseling the first one is circumstantial so let me give you some simple examples maybe you get cancer Maybe you're having financial problems. Maybe you're in an accident. So circumstances can be in your control or not in your control depending on what you're dealing with. The second reason you come to counseling is personal sin. And it's usually pornography for men, gossip, anger, lack of self-control, addiction, bad relationship choices, so forth and so on. And the last reason or the last area that you come to counseling for if you've been sinned against. This may be demeaning by someone, somebody's passive-aggressive and doesn't treat you right. It may be, unfortunately, physical, sexual, emotional abuse, neglect. It may be many different things. The thing you have to remember about those three areas, circumstantial, personal, and also sinned against, is this. A person does not come to counseling for just one of the three reasons, almost always all three intertwine. So I don't have people that just step in and come in and go, hey, I'm going through cancer, and let's just deal with that. The problem is, is right, they're going to be dealing with their own choices. They're going to be dealing with things. Or somebody comes in and says, hey, I had an affair. That's a personal sin. But guess what? Because I did, I'm hurting my wife. So now we're what? We've hurt somebody else. See, so you understand that those three areas, and they kind of define why we come into the office, or why you go see Logan, or you go see your pastor, or you go see those things. So how do I respond to these three areas? And I'm going to tell you biblically. And I'll be honest, if you've been in church for any length of time, you'll know these scriptures. But see, here's the problem with the Word of God. is many of you can tell me theological truths, but you don't believe in them enough to walk them out daily. Does that make sense? Because that's what we do. Most of the people that come into my office, I'm honest, because I have Christian on my door, guess who I'm generally counseling? Christians. But if I ask them, how's your walk with Christ, what do you think most of them say? It's not good. And I'll have another question of going, how's your intimacy with Christ? See, I don't ask if you read your Bible and pray anymore. I go, how are you doing with intimacy with the Lord? And what that really means is, are you reading your Bible and praying? Because, and what do you think most people say? Everybody tells me they pray. But guess what most people tell me they're not doing? They're not reading. They're not studying. Talk to Logan for a second. You know, he's a pastor and everybody thinks he's supposed to. But I guarantee you, if he's not close with Christ, he's not going to be an effective pastor, even though he's supposed to teach, right? He'll get the lesson going. But he can tell you if there's not an intimacy with God, then there's going to be no way that he can really impact you and use you. But let me say this. He's called to the ministry, but you're called to the word of God in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ anyways. 2 Peter 1, I love the verse in 3, it says this. Listen to this verse. It says, he has given to us what? All things in life and godliness. What does that say? He says, I've given you everything you need. There is nothing I am letting handle or happen. And then in verse 5 he says, but you must make every effort to add to your faith. Some of you guys have been saved for 20, 30. I don't know if there's 30-year-olds in here. However old you are for many, many, many years, but you've never added to your faith. You've never grown, and you go, why do I struggle so much, or why am I depressed all the time, or why am I anxious, or why am I bad relationships, or why can I figure out? Because the honest truth is, is what? God has no place in your life. That's me preaching, sorry. Okay, so let's go back to, so how do you deal with circumstances? Romans eight twenty eight. somebody quote it for me. Nobody knows Romans 8, 28. All right, we're going to do memorization. All things were together for good to them that know God and love him. If I believe that principle, just that, that means when I'm going through a difficult time, I can what? Rest in the fact that he will bring good out of it. How about the other big, the famous passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, right, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you future and a hope. That's a truth. The problem is with that thing is we think we know what future and hope should look like. And in America, let's have an honest conversation. Future and hope is what? I have no problems. Everything's good. I'm successful. And I'm just going to live life. And sadly, that's nowhere found in the Bible. It doesn't mean you can't have a good life, please understand me. It doesn't mean you can't be blessed. But God is not so concerned about your happiness, he's concerned about your holiness. Because he loves you. How do you deal with personal sin? Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen, probably the greatest definition of repentance. It says, whoever conceals his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. I'll have people coming into my office, and they're struggling with depression and anxiety. Those are probably the two most common. And so they're wanting to know, how do I get rid of this feeling? And then they'll tell me about their life, and they're living in this act of sin, and they want to just basically know, how do I numb the feeling, but I don't really want to give up the sin. But you know what God's doing when they're depressed? He says, I love you enough that I'm not going to make you happy and comfortable that I'm going to get you to the place of depression so that you'll turn to me and draw to me. I had a young man who was ready to commit suicide one time. I'll never forget. He was at the school. He was ready. He wasn't going to school. He wasn't doing anything. Good kid. And I remember me and him talking. I said, here's the deal. I said, you're at a place where you're at a crossroads. And I said, and his mother was an enabler kind of. She would really protect him. And I said, quit protecting him. Let him go. And she did. And this young man came to this place, and he had a decision to make. And what he realized was he didn't know Christ. And I'll never forget, he goes to church that Sunday, and I believe it was at Crossway, and Pastor Bumpers is preaching, and he says, all I remember is when he said every knee should bow, and he says, I went and got saved. See, God knew he was at a place of, look, I'm going to kill myself, but God also knew he had to get to that place to what? To understand he needed Jesus. Just because you're depressed right now doesn't mean you're exactly in the wrong place. It may mean God's trying to wake you up, or you're stressed. So be very careful to analyze why you're feeling the way you're feeling in doing that. How about if you've been sinned against? How many of you have been sinned against before? How many have been treated badly, right? Colossians 3.13, and you know these verses. It says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against each other, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. Hebrews 12.14 and 15 say, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What what time is it? Somebody got time? Sorry. Thank you. Okay. Whoever that was, thank you. Okay. So I'm going to read you a story. I debated on whether to read this, but I think it's worth it. I timed it. It's four minutes, so I think we can fit it in. Rachel awoke abruptly. The clock in her room read 5.30 a.m. Her husband laid asleep beside her, and the words, forgive Todd, were repeating in her head. Forgive Todd. How could she forgive the man who had caused her so much pain? Not knowing how to start, she went for what she knew most and grabbed her pen and notebook and began to write. Growing up, Rachel seemed happy, but in reality, she was just trying to survive. For nearly six years, she had been sexually abused by her brother's best friend, Todd, until he acknowledged the incidents and asked her to keep quiet. He said, they just won't understand. And Rachel, in her fear, obliged. She said, I was scared and felt like it was my fault for letting it happen. See, that's how abuse works. You put all the guilt and shame on yourself. Rachel tried to deal with these wounds by seeking healing through alcohol and relationships. After an incorrect bipolar diagnosis in college, she was prescribed several medications meant to relieve her symptoms. However, the medication wouldn't take away the deep pain she felt in her heart. See, the only way healing could happen was for her to fully, get this, to fully give control to God. He's the only one that can satisfy. But she said, I didn't really know that. I look back and see that God was in my suffering. Pay attention to that. Listen to this. He was in every single part placing people and different things in my life to help me, but I didn't know it well enough to tell God that I give up. I wanted to keep my control. And I think some of you, that's what you're doing today. That's what anxiety is, right? You get that, right? We get stressed because we're trying to control something that we just want to work out in the way we want to work out. Let me finish the story. Rachel continued to hold on to that control until a heated argument with her boyfriend drove her to locking herself in the bathroom and overdosing on several medications. Before losing consciousness, she began to pray. I didn't want to die. I just wanted help. Rachel said, lying on the bathroom floor, Rachel pleaded that God would restore her. See, this is God. Immediately, a peaceful presence fell over her. She knew that God was with her and she would be all right. After a stay in a psychiatric hospital, Rachel found the courage to open up to her parents about the abuse she had endured. Her parents, though heartbroken for their daughter, were strong and comforting for her. Still, she hadn't found it in herself to forgive Todd. Yet just as the sun was rising, Rachel looked at the words she had managed to write. It was a poem for Todd. In it, she forgave him for his actions, shared her source of joy and hope in Jesus, and ultimately invited him to seek a relationship with God. See, the Holy Spirit spoke through me in that moment. She said, I can't explain it, but it happened. Feeling as though a huge weight had been lifted off her shoulders, she hurried to wake her husband, Andrew. She shook me awake and was so happy and bright and completely filled with the Holy Spirit, Andrew said. It was wild. Rachel began to read the poem to her husband. This is what she wrote. By the world's standards, listen to this, you're undeserving of my grace, but I am a child of God and he's given to, to me always. I rejoice in the suffering that you have put me through. It's brought me closer to Jesus. It's led me to the truth. See, and and I'll finish the story. You can do what you want to with your life. You can blame everybody. You can victimize. You can do it. And I'm not saying you don't go through hard things. Some of you probably have some horrific stories. And some of you might have some really tough things. And you may think there is no way. But what I do know is this. is just like her. When she turned to the cross, right? When she turned to know the person that could heal her, she looked past the pain and saw him in the middle. And she was able to forgive a guy who was, what, horrible to her for six years. I don't know how she does that. But God does. She finishes the stories. Andrew's eyes began to water as he saw his wife come to a place of forgiveness through the words she read. The scars from her dark past were being healed by the grace of God. We have a hope in Christ. I'm not a victim anymore. I'm a survivor. Rachel said, I suffered for a reason. Can you guys say that about your suffering? Are you mad at God? Are you angry because he's allowed things to happen that you don't understand? And you know what? You may never understand. Do you guys know what happens at the end of the book of Job? God shows up. You remember what he tells Job? First thing he says, who are you? He never answered the question why. He never knew God and Satan were having a conversation. And you know what Job's only response is? Read the last four chapters sometime. He repents. Because he questions God's sovereignty and he questions God's authority. And he realized that he had no idea what God was doing because he wasn't there when he formed the earth and he wasn't there when he made the mountains and he wasn't there. You get my point. See, sometimes we're angry at God because we think we deserve more than we really do, don't we? And sometimes we're frustrated with God because we think, why did I have to go through this? Why was I given this thing or going through whatever? Why can't I get past it? Well, think about her. She said, I suffered so I could help other people who have no hope. These marks, listen to this, of abuse are marks of God's glory and they have allowed me to reach people in ways I could never, listen to this, I never could if I hadn't happened to me. While Rachel admits that she still has a long way to go in her journey towards complete healing, she knows that Jesus is guiding her steps. The Lord has saved my life in so many ways. I am not sure I am not the same person anymore. She said it all goes back to the gift of grace. And I don't read that to get you in an emotional response. I read that because you see all three elements. Circumstantial, personal sin, and also sinned against. She had a choice of how she wanted to walk that situation out. And she chose to seek Jesus. All right, here's what we're going to do. We don't have a lot of time. So I generally break down anxiety and depression. But I'm going to let you choose because we only can do one. So how many want to know how to deal with anxiety or how many want to know how to deal with depression? (laughs) All right, we'll walk through the anxiety and then we can all be depressed and then we'll work through depression. You can come come see me later. We'll have a session. That's how we'll do this, okay? For free, sure. We'll have a consult and we'll go from there. All right, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to define it through the DSM-5. If you don't know what the DSM-5 is, that's the diagnostic manual that they use to diagnose you. So If you ever go to a counselor, you ever go to a primary care physician, they follow these guidelines. I want to read it to you so you understand sometimes maybe why you've been diagnosed this. Number one, you have excessive anxiety and worry occurring more days than not for at least six months about a number of events or activities such as work or school. Number two, the individual finds it difficult to control the worry. Number three, the anxiety and worry are associated with three of the following six symptoms. So I'm going to read you the list. If you had three of the six, then you can have anxiety. With at least some symptoms having been present for more days than not for the past six months. So you have to have it for the past six months. Number one, restless, feeling keyed up or on edge. Number two, being easily fatigued. Number three, difficult, concentrating, or mind going blank. Number four, irritability. Number five, muscle tension, and number six, sleep disturbance, whether you can fall asleep or not fall asleep. On top of that, then, the anxiety, worry, or physical symptoms cause clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, or other important areas, going to church, going to work, friendships, relationships. The intensity, duration, or frequency of the anxiety and worry is out of proportion to to the actual likelihood or impact of the anticipated event. For instance, if you come to church and you have a panic attack every time, there's probably something going on there. Does that make sense? So it's out of proportion of that. And then the last thing, the individual finds it difficult to control the worry and to keep worrisome thoughts from interfering with attention to task at hand. All right, so how many of you self-diagnosed yourself with anxiety? (laughs) Nobody wants to raise their hand. Okay. So let me say a couple things about this. These are symptoms, and they're accurate. I have no issue with the DSM-5 and symptoms. These are natural symptoms that come from anxiety. I think everyone in here could tell me they've experienced one or maybe all six of those ones I listed off, correct? Maybe not for a long period of time. The problem with the DSM-5 is it doesn't go into how to solve those issues, right? So it's just basically giving you a guideline to understand what's the impairment level of this. So let's, with the time we have left this morning or this afternoon, let's look at just kind of a biblical view of anxiety for a second. And hopefully this will help you. So we must define worry in the Bible. I'm going to give you two definitions. The first one, it simply means a divided mind. It's a divided mind, okay? Let me give you a little more detailed definition. Worry is an over-anxious concern regarding the future and things that keeps a person from fulfilling current biblical responsibilities. Worry becomes sin. Listen to this. When it starts to a couple things, let's just listen. Control the future. Thoughts are unproductive. We begin to neglect God. Damage your body. Start losing hope. Depression. You shut down and stop functioning. In fact, I'll stop on that. I have a lot of people coming in now that their anxiety is so high that they get overwhelmed that, to be honest, they could be diagnosed with depression to go with it because they don't know how to deal with the anxiety, if that makes sense. So the stress is high, right? And you get this feeling, and if you've ever had the tightness of the chest and the shortness of breath and so forth, and you're going, what the crap, how do I get out of this? But when you don't have an answer, you get depressed, you get discouraged, so forth and so on. So that happens sometimes. And let me say something, too. I'm not a doctor medically, so I don't don't want to say, but medicine. Um, Here's what I'll tell you. Medicine has its positives. The thing most doctors will tell you, though, is the medicine is there to what? Take the edge off the feelings or bring things back into balance. But most doctors will tell you that while taking medicine, you need to be what? Doing counseling. Because medicine will never deal with the heart issue. Now, if there is a truly organic, you know, chemical problem, okay. But I can promise you almost anybody that walks in my office when they struggle with anxiety or depression, it's generally dealing with their mind. It's how they are perceiving life. It's how they're looking at things, and it's creating this thing that's causing them to be very stressed. So let's just get down to really what it is. Worry is idolatry. Idolatry means to worship someone or something other than the true and living God. Go back to the relationship. Let's say you're in a relationship, and you're afraid you're going to lose the relationship. So instead of focusing on God, instead of being content in God, and instead of doing what God says, you get so consumed with that person that all you can do is what? Think about that person. You try to do whatever you can to help that person, making sure the relationship stays, and it becomes an obsession. And then if you actually lose that person, and then it's, you're, you're over the edge, and you can go into panic. I have a lady who has had victory in this. She was married, came to me, and it was really cool. She was taking a PRN when she had panic attacks, and she's been working, and God is doing a work in her, and when she'll come in now, she's not taking her medication anymore at night because she's using the Word of God to change the way she deals with the problem. Amen? God can do the same for you. And listen, you may struggle with anxiety all the time, that doesn't and let me say something. That doesn't mean God's not in the middle of your life. It's just what are you going to do with it? So let me give you some things about idolatry. An idol is anything and anyone that begins to capture our hearts and minds and affections more than God. It's living on substitutes. So let me ask you something. <clears throat> Excuse me. What captures your heart? What are you stressed over? Because the thing you have to remember, I'll go back to going back to feeding on the word. You naturally will go back to what you do because it's how you're made. And because of sin, it'll be back down that same alley every time unless you replace it with the right thing. Does that make sense? And so some people would call that what? CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And there's truth to that. But in a believer, what I love is the fact is that he's the one that can give me complete peace. So my focus is back on the way of who he is, not what I'm dealing with. So here's some questions to ask. Am I willing to sin to get it to so whatever I'm worried about? And am I willing to sin if I don't get it? Am I willing to sin if I think I'm going to lose it? Do I run to it as a refuge instead of God? Right? I don't know why I'm focusing on relationships so much, but right? How many of you have heard of codependency? I have to have this person to make me feel okay. I have to be I got to make sure they <clears throat> loves me, cares about me because if I don't, I don't know how to deal with life. That's an idol. <clears throat> Let me say something. You guys are married but ask any married person in here, you can do the same thing in marriage just like you can in a dating relationship. And if you're not careful, if Christ is not the sinner, you'll depend on your spouse just as much as you did a dating relationship. And the worry and the stress and the fear will come, especially when they let you down. So what's the solution? And the solution is simple and you know it. It's just hard if that makes sense. I know I, I kind of contradicts myself. Solution is faith. Dealing with the heart, not the symptoms. Is the goal of anxiety to get rid of the feelings? It's not. Now, is that a byproduct generally of dealing with the real issue? Yes, it should eliminate and it should cause your anxiety to go down. But at some point, you have to deal with the real issue. You have to identify the root of the problem because it's just like this. When I have men come in who are struggling with pornography, guess what? Pornography is not their issue. You know that, right? If you struggle with alcoholism or if you struggle with whatever, that is not your issue. That's your vice that you're using to try to satisfy whatever you're dealing with. So you have to get to the core. And so when we do that in counseling, we first look at the trigger. I say this a lot. What's your trigger? What's the thing that's getting you? What's the thing that causes you to get stressed? What's the thing that gets you worried? The lady I was telling you about, she would have physical pain at night and she would think she was going to die. Do you understand the association? So the triggers, the physical pain, the thought process, I'm going to die. And if I think I'm going to die, I'm going to be pretty stressed out. Everybody agree with that? And then so she feels stress. And then she responds. And she deals with it. And then it cycles every time. So how do you get victory over that? The thing is, every one of you will process what you're dealing with. We all talk to ourselves. Does that make sense? Every one of you are running this stuff through your head, I promise you. You're going, man, how do I do this? What do I do? How do I get out of this? Or or, or why does this keep happening? Or how do I deal with this exam? Or whatever it is. And you're going to deal with it. You may think, well, I just avoid it. You don't avoid it. Trust me. It's running through your head. The question is, is, are you going to put Christ in the center of that process? David in Psalms 22 said, my God, my God, why have you what? Did David really feel that? You better believe it. Does anybody know what he says in verse 3? Yet you are holy. What did he do? He made a mental choice to focus on the holiness of God. And if you read 4, 5, and 6, he remembers what God did for him and he begins to rejoice and praise God. What it doesn't tell you in that Psalms is we don't know if the circumstance ever changed, but he changed. So his worry, fear, anxiety, what? Went away. Why could David, he says in about four Psalms, he says, I can sleep in safety. I can sleep in security. And if you read Psalms 3 and 4, read it sometimes. That's when you remember Absalom. Absalom's coming to kill him. Can you imagine your son trying to come and kill you? It's no joke. He says, I sleep in safety. Why? Absalom was still coming. He understood what this was. What I love about my Jesus is the fact that if I center on him, and if I call, I call it preventative intimacy, if I'm in the word and I'm in the right mindset, that when those triggers come, I can attack it, I can face it, I can bring truth to it. So go back to the relationship. Let's say you, you, something triggers you and you think, I'm going to lose that relationship. That may be true, but what you can do is then you can remind yourself, you know what, I'm in Christ, I don't need it. I'm solid in Christ. You know what? He loves me. I'm a child of God. What am I doing? I'm replacing it with truth and not letting this thing control me. Or I can stay so focused and my anxiety is so high and then it overflows into everything else. Right. I've got this underlying current of anxiety and then like I have a test come up or my job's stressful or whatever it is. And it just amplifies because the reality of it is, is what God's doing and goes, quit worshiping this and turn to me and we can walk through this. And man, when it happens, I can promise you it's wonderful. And let me say this, too. It doesn't mean it'll not come back. You have to stay faithful to God because if you're not grinding with the word, if that makes sense, if you're not walking with the Lord, it'll creep back in because your nature's ready to fight you every morning if you didn't know that. What does Romans 7 say? The things I don't want to do, I what? I do them. But Paul comes to the place of understanding who he is in verse 24, and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am. What is he saying? He goes, I'm corrupt. I understand myself, so I need help. And he says, I thank God with what? With my mind, I serve the law of God. That's how you walk through this. But see, I don't think Christians want to work at it because they want some pill. They want something that is just simple and easy. And I'll be real with you. Sometimes it's not. It takes a lot of hard work, and you've got to face a lot of pain. But man, when you come out of it, it's a glory. And I'll tell you, God will use it. I'm amazed to then watch how God will bring people into your life that you never thought. And man, you'll be able to speak into their lives because you know exactly what they're going through. What time is it? Who's the guy? Oh, okay. Am I behind? So I got. Okay, I'll go a couple more minutes. And I'm done. <laughs> Promise. So let's give me simple solutions. Everybody turn your Bible to the most famous anxiety passage in the Bible, right? Philippians 4. Let's just do that, and then we'll, then we'll close up. And I'm going to read you one paragraph. Philippians 4. You guys all know it, right? So I'm going to give you three simple things, and you think, man, I grew up in church. I know this. See, I think sometimes we look for this real complicated answer, but in reality, it's pretty simple. But I want you to really read the verses to understand. Let's start. Number one, right praying. Look at verse number six and seven. It says what? Do not be anxious for... So if I just stop there, if I believe God, then I can what? No, I don't have to stress about a thing. But you know what I love about God? He gives me a solution, doesn't he? Watch the next part. But in everything by what? prayer and supplications with notice the next word thanksgiving you're thinking how in the world can I be thankful when I'm so stressed out and I have no idea what to do with my life but look what he promises let your requests be made known to God here's the result and the peace of who Notice that, So, um, since I'm on the relationship thing. My peace doesn't come from that relationship. What God just promises me is, because you understand what prayer is. Prayer is saying I'm helpless. Prayer is saying that I cannot do this anymore, and that I'm turning to you. So when you do, God says, hey, I will give you peace. Martin Luther, I don't know if you ever read the history on him, but before he stood before the people to give after he did the 95 Thesis, he stands before the high priest, and he was very nervous. If you ever read much about Martin Luther, man, he was an interesting dude, to say the least. But, but he stands before them, and they ask them the question, basically, are you going to recant what you believe? And he says, and it's kind of funny, he goes, can you give me another day? Well, they thought he was just being whatever, just trying to manipulate the situation. In fact, he was scared to death. But Martin Luther goes back. See, this is the point of God. Martin Luther goes back and doesn't let the fear of man control him. He gets on his knees and he seeks the Lord. And so then the next day he comes back and he quotes probably the most profound thing, right, of basically saying, I can't recant this. This is the truth. Every one of you are going to struggle with something. The question is in that cycle of trigger, thought, emotion, response, is Christ going to get in the center of it or are you just going to keep let it spinning and spinning? And the problem is it keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And some of you go, how in the world did I get here? And so then you have to deal with it and walk with it. Number two, well, why am I thankful? Let's go back to that in my praying. You're thankful for two reasons. Thankfulness in how God is using the trial to grow you. You're thankful in knowing that God promises never to fail, Right? If I believe that, I can walk that out even if it's hard. Number two, right thinking. Look at verse 8. Everybody look at it. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Who does that talk about? Christ. Holiness of God. If I'm consumed with him, have you ever noticed that a lot of things don't affect me as bad? Have you ever noticed that I can totally keep committed to what I'm called to do? Because I'm consumed with that. See, I must plan my thought pattern according to biblical principles that create a solution. So if that person I was dependent upon breaks up with me, if I turn myself back to Christ, I faithfully start walking out what I know to do. And that's turn to him and draw to him and remind myself of the truth. Then lastly... Right acting. Look at verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Does anybody know what the next word is? Practice. So what does that mean? Can't do it once. It doesn't stop. Practice these things and notice what comes up. And the God of peace. Notice verse number 7. And the peace of God. So there's this combination of prayer and acting willfully obedient to God. That God says I will give you peace to know how to walk through what I'm walking through. So how do I do that in my actions? Number one, I focus attention and energy on today's responsibilities given by God, not tomorrow's. So, for instance, after this, you guys have dinner, right? And then you have the main speaker, if I remember. So what's your responsibility? Go eat dinner and go to the the, the speaker. Don't start worrying about tomorrow. It's okay. You're going to go to church, right? Everybody's going to go to church tomorrow, right? Okay, good. All right. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is sometimes we get so far ahead of ourselves that we just need to take care of today and walk that out. And God will take care of the next days. Secondly, under right acting, live your theology out practically. A lot of you in here can walk theology out for me in your words, but man, you don't know how to live it. I see a lot of people spend time with God. And as soon as they're done, they're like, okay, did my two chapters today. And then they live life and they in no way put God in the middle of what they're struggling with. See, that's not theology working out. Theology working out is in my mind. you know what the word meditate means in the Old Testament? It means to mumble. You know what he's saying? Or murmur. It's because it's always on my mouth. So my mind and my heart are learning how to seek God in the middle of whatever I'm facing for the day. And then lastly, learn from the lifestyle of productive Christian leaders. How many of you have accountability? Good. If you don't get somebody accountability is the most valuable thing about the church. You need good men, you need good women, you need them around you, you need them to be real with you. The one thing I do love about High Street, I don't go to High Street, but the one thing I love is I know that there are godly men and women who surround you guys and you guys talk and you open up and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's the beauty of the church. The quote is, God's grace shows up when the church gets messy. We're messy people. But some of us won't say a thing because we are afraid what they think or what they know or so forth and so on. And man, you're missing out on the beauty of brothers and sisters coming along you to do that. So I'm going to read you one more paragraph and then we'll close in prayer. The problem arises, excuse me, when all we are looking to gain from Jesus is to take away the emotional pain, take away the circumstance or restore the relationship so that our symptoms are eliminated. Sadly, the heart of the problem is not truly resolved, and Christ has not finished the work needed for victory. See, Christ is not our lapdog, not our genie, or our psychological errand boy. He is our Savior. We must see him as the sovereign king of the universe, who graciously saves us from sin, gives us eternal life, and accomplishing this by acting, listen to this, in his own way and his own timing. When I see Jesus for who he truly is, anxiety, depression, and fear become a fading reality as Christ becomes, shines brighter in my life. However, even when these symptoms have a hold on my life, Christ is the power that allows me to be faithful, amen, regardless of the effects I may experience. See, God's goal is not to give you health, wealth, and prosperity. God's goal is the promise that he'll walk with you through whatever you're going through. And He will never leave and forsake. So here's the reality. We'll pray. If you're struggling with that, talk to Logan. Talk to your leaders. I don't know. Some of you guys are from different churches. Talk to somebody. You can get practical. You need to sit down and work through what's triggering me. What are my real thoughts? You got to get down to the nitty gritty. You can't do that here. This is more just an overview. And then start to replace it with truth of the Word of God. How many of you serve in your church? If you don't, I'd encourage you to. See, an active Christian life is what keeps me focused. Have you ever noticed people who love other people aren't generally stressed or depressed? Why do you think that is? Because they ain't worried about themselves so much. They did a study on the brain. If you are thankful, it's impossible to be stressed. Think about that. All right. I appreciate you guys letting me talk. It's neat to see this many people in this. It really is. I hope if you are having a hard time you will get with somebody and talk to somebody. I also know probably with this many people, you may not know Christ. And that's the most important thing. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you something. You're never going to have peace. I don't care what counselor, psychologist, anybody you go to. So if you don't know Jesus, if you don't understand the corruption of who you are, you don't understand what the cross did, man, I beg of you, talk to me, talk to Logan, talk to somebody to come to know Jesus. All right, any instructions or do you want to close or what do you want? Okay, Logan's going to close. You can- pray? pray. Okay, I'll pray. All right, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I thank you for today, and I pray, God, that uh, you spoke through me, Lord. I pray for these um, young adults as they walk out many different things in their life, and it's got to be hard, and I'm sure some have some scars and some pain and some things that nobody knows about. Oh, Lord, I pray that they'll turn to those around them, and they'll be able to walk together and talk together. I pray you'll bless the rest of the night, be with the, the main speaker. Lord, I man, speak through him, challenge them. Thank you so much for what you're doing in Jesus, I pray. Amen.